now. Amen. Hallelujah. eyes and looked and behold a certain man clothed in linen whose loins were girded with fine gold of upas his body was his body also was like the barrel and his face as the appearance of lightning and his eyes as lamps of fire and his arms and his feet like in color to polished brass and the voice of his words like the voice of a multitude. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Glad to be in the house again. Hallelujah. Yes, yes. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Our scripture. It's coming from Matthews 28. And the scriptures reads, In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn towards the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for the fear of him, the keeper did shake and become as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know ye seek Jesus which was crucified. Hallelujah. Yes, he is yes. not here. Well. Whew. For he is risen. Yes, he, is. Uh. he is risen. Yes, sir. As he said. Come. See the place. Hmm. Where the Lord lay. Hallelujah. 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 He is risen. Hallelujah. Lord, we bless your name right now, oh God, for you are risen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There is none like him. Hallelujah. There is none like him nowhere. I don't care who you call, who you text. I don't care who your friend is. I don't care who your chum chummy chum chum is. None of them are like the Lord. Hallelujah. So we just want to stand before you right now, God, and let you know that we love you. We adore you. You laid down your life for us. But guess what? He got up. And he is risen. He is here with us right now. So let's just love on him. Let's just adore him right now in his presence. Hallelujah. 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 Lord, I adore you. High place no one before you. 
there's no one else like you. You are my God. Oh, Lord, I love you. Oh, my heart is ever for you. For there's no Can we just lift it up all together? Hallelujah. Lord, I, I adore you, Jesus. Oh, I can search, I can look 
your holy name, Jesus. There is truly none like you. Nobody, nobody. Hallelujah, hallelujah. This morning, Lord God, we magnify your most holy and precious name. We're so glad that that grave couldn't hold you down. Hallelujah, but as you promised on the third day, you rose again. And we're glad today that you got up. Hallelujah. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we bow down before you this morning. We offer unto you the sacrifice of praise, because there is none like you. And we come here for no other purpose than to give you the best of our service today because of who you are. Not so much what you do, because you do everything, but just for who you are. You're in our presence, Lord God. And in your presence, there is fullness of joy. Yes, God. Yes, joy bells is ringing down in our souls today. Hallelujah. And we just cannot express our gratitude for you.
Lord right now in this place. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want to just thank God a little time to take thanks to our pastor. And in my darkest hour, he gave me words I didn't like them all, but I followed. And because of obedience, God has opened up a door for me. When I thought I was about to be homeless, God gave me a brand new place. When I was $1,500 a month in the negative, I kept paying my tithes and my offering. Hallelujah. Now God has blessed me with a place. Pay a mortgage. I mean, the rent paid for a free month. Hallelujah. Brand new furniture. Hallelujah. Didn't cost me a dime. Hallelujah. Thank you, Bishop. It wasn't easy. You gave me some hard assignments. But obedience, God met me. Not half the way, but all the way. I'm going to tell you about it later. But I do want to say where I was $1,500 in the negative. I kept paying my tithes and offers because I still was going to be dead if I didn't. God brought the increase. My credit score has gone up over 300 points. That's how come I'm on fire. Not just because that, because I kept trusting him. When my mind told me I was And I'm glad, so glad, that God stepped in right on time. And he worked everything out, everything, even down to my dog. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm going to give it up. Because we in service. But y'all see me running around that crazy stuff with my cane on the floor. I just want you to know that God been good to me. Do what you do. The good part is what he does. He'll do it for Hallelujah, hallelujah. Lord, I adore you. Lord, I adore you. There's no one like you. There's no one like you. My heart is for you. My heart is for you. I adore you, Lord. I adore you.
I worship you, Lord. I worship you. Right here in the fullness of your glory, I worship, I worship. I worship you. Oh, I thank you for laying down your life, Lord. I worship, I worship. I worship you. With everything within me, I worship, I worship, I worship. Hallelujah, hallelujah. God, we bless you in this place. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, there's nobody else like you, Lord, because you are the Lion of Judah. Hallelujah, you're the Lion of Judah. You reign all over this place. Hallelujah, you rule everywhere. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, God. Woo. I don't know, but I'm excited. I'm excited for our Lion of Judah. I'm excited for everything that he has done, everything that he is doing, and everything he is going to do. So I'm here to celebrate. Y'all want to celebrate him with me? Y'all want to celebrate him with me? I guess I'm just only crazy enough to do it out loud. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Lion of Judah, Lion of Judah, you are my Lord and King, you are my Lord and King. Lion of Judah, Lion of Judah, reign over everything, reign over everything. Lion of Judah, Lion of Judah, you are the great I am, you are the great I am. Lion of Judah, Lion of Judah. Name on high, I lift your 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 name on high
don't even know. Y'all don't even know. Excited heroes. Amen. Yeah. Is that right? Y'all excited heroes? Amen. 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 Hallelujah. 
Can y'all tell I'm excited, Hero? Hallelujah. Come on, y'all. Hero! Excited, I'm so happy. But I love that Jesus, Jesus love me. Let's celebrate the Lord today. Ooh, he washed my sins away. But oh, oh, the blood he shed for me way back on Calvary. He shed for me way back on Calvary. I can't forget that day when I heard the preacher say, David, Friday night, the Savior, Saturday night, for early. What you say now, hero? I'm so excited. I'm so happy. For the love that Jesus, Jesus loves me. Let's celebrate the Lord today. Ooh, oh, he washed my sins away. But oh, oh, the blood. He shed for me way back on Calvary. Oh, 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 the blood he shed for me way back on Calvary. Listen, I can't forget that day when I heard my preacher say, say that Friday night. Come on, heroes. What you gonna say about it? Come on. Hey, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I'm so happy. I'm so happy. For the love that Jesus. For the love that Jesus. He loves me. Jesus loves me. Hey, let's celebrate. Let's celebrate. The Lord. The Lord today. He has washed. My sins away. My sins away. He shed for me. Way, 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 way 
long. He didn't stay too long. Yeah. He didn't stay too long. 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 Come on, Timmy, get ready. He didn't stay too long. He didn't stay too long.
know he's high and lifted up. Come on, praise him. High and lifted up. High and lifted up are you. High and lifted up are you. High and lifted up are you. Great Jehovah. High and lifted up are you. High lifted up are you. High lifted up are you. Great Jehovah. High lifted up are you. High lifted up are you. High lifted up are you. Great Jehovah. High Everybody praise him. Everybody praise him. Everybody praise him. 
Everybody, hallelujah, hallelujah. everybody lift him. <laughs> There's a little worship song that we sing, and it simply says, glory to the Lamb. Do I have any worshipers here hallelujah. this morning? Hallelujah. Where are my worshipers? Where are my worshipers? Where are my worshipers? Huh? It's true when the Bible says, they that worship must worship him in the spirit and in truth and if you come this morning to give him worship help us say glory 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 to the lamb glory 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 to the lamb i can't hear you glory 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 Glory, 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 glory. Hallelujah. They took my Lord. They took your Savior. They nailed him to a cross. They beat him all night. Placed the thorn of crowns on his head. Pierced them in his side. And I hear the Spirit say, 
that was slain for me that was slain for you if you not had an opportunity to give a blessings to the house on this morning before we close with this song this is your opportunity to be a blessing to the house that's part of worship too bishop that's part of worship too yes you can lift your hands yes you can scream with your voice but the best worship that you can give the lord is to give did you hear when he said for god so loved the world i wish i had some help this morning that he gave his only begotten son so what is your response this morning if he can give, then I can give. We've asked this morning that even above your tithes and your offering, that you'll be a blessing and put in a special sacrificial offering. He sacrificed his life for you. He did it just for you. Matter of fact, Janelle, Betty Wright had a little song. And she said in that song, Bishop, no pain, no gain, no pain, no gain. He was bruised. I wish, come on, I'm trying to give you time to give. For my iniquities, the chastisement was upon him. His stripes, his stripes, his stripes. We are. The stripes represent the pain. The healing represents the gain. So hear me when I say this morning. No pain. No gain. No pain. No gain. No pain.
Everybody say amen. 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 Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Yes, God, yes, God, yes, God. Hallelujah. hallelujah. I know Bishop got to preach, but I heard that in my spirit. Hallelujah. Listen, listen. Glory to the Lamb. Glory to the Lamb. I saw you, CJ. Go back and worship. Glory to the Lamb. Glory to the Lamb. Help me say glory one time to the Lamb. Let's just worship. That's all the words say. Glory to the Lamb. You can't mess up those words. Glory. Glory to the Lamb. To the Lamb. Glory. Glory. Stay right there in the same key. To say the glory. Lamb. Glory. Yeah. To the Lamb. Glory, glory, glory. To the Lamb. Glory yeah. to the land. 
stop on my account. Glory, glory to the Lamb. Glory, glory. I wish I had some. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory, glory to the Lamb. Hallelujah. Shabbat God, let's Shabbat God. Come on, let's worship Him, let's worship Him. Hallelujah. If you believe that He got up, you ought to celebrate Him right now. Come on, you ought to celebrate Him. You ought to celebrate Him. Come on, celebrate Him. He didn't get up for himself. He got up for you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're so thankful to the Lord for our praise team. I'm going to ask if everyone would just take a moment and just send some honor over to our musicians. Dr. Tony Bumper. BJ. Hallelujah. Come on, I said... Send some honor. Celebrate them. Come on. I know sometimes we get frustrated when we're honoring somebody, but what we miss is that what you're doing is you're honoring the grace gift, the anointing that God has given them. So in honoring them, you are honoring God. In loving on them, you are loving on God. Hallelujah. I'm so thankful to the Lord for our musicians, for the time that we have had together. Hallelujah. I'm excited about what God is doing here at the church. It's good to see each and every one of you. Didn't the praise team sound beautiful this morning? 
the last time I saw Brother Marshawn, he had a little bit of high-pitched voice over this year of COVID. I don't know what happened, but hallelujah, some deepness got in there. Hallelujah. He was carrying that tenor section, and I was like, go ahead there, uh, doctor. <laughs> hallelujah. The bass is coming out. Hallelujah. So we thank the Lord again for them and for sharing that gift with us. Uh, it's my uh, duty uh, to let you know that um, we want to honor our musicians, and we want to be thankful to the Lord for them and everything that they've been to us. Hallelujah. But as in life, there are seasons of transition, and they will be transitioning into a new harvest field. And we want to celebrate them for the time that they've given and prophetically speak over their life for the field that God is now planting them in, that they would be used for the glory of the Lord, that they would be a benefit and a blessing in that place. And we're just asking God to go with you, to use you like you've never been used before, that the anointing rest upon you, and we want you to know that we love you. If nobody else does, we love you. We appreciate you. And we're so thankful for the years that we have spent together. Hallelujah. And we're always here. Hallelujah. So if you need a respite, come on back to the house. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, let's celebrate them one more time. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, we know that this is uh, Resurrection Sunday. The world calls it Easter, and they chase after bunnies and hidden eggs that people painted all through the weekend and all this craziness. I'm not really sure what that's all about, but I know what this day represents. This is the day when the plan for my redemption was complete. This is the day when my restoration was secured. This is the day when I was rejoined to God without restriction. This is the day that the Lord has made. And we shall do what? Because we got a whole lot to rejoice about. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Because we have been positioned where the flow of God's increase is. That, that's amazing. That is wonderful. That is absolutely wonderful. So I'm not confused about what today is. Today is a great day. It is Resurrection Sunday. And we're going to talk about that here shortly. I don't plan to hold you long. I know uh, you've, you've got your events planned for today. And we want to give you the word, feed you with the word of God and get out of your way. We're so thankful to those that are here in the house and to those that have tuned in via our uh, streaming services. Uh, we're thankful to the Lord for each and every one of you, and we're praying for you, God's blessing and peace on your life. Just by way of quick announcement, um, we are a member of the Greater Emmanuel Fellowship uh, International uh, Assembly of Churches and Ministries. We celebrate Pentecost. We didn't get to do that last year, but we're doing it this year. So those that can and will, I'm asking that you go uh, down to Living Faith Temple, 
It's 1329 Kinney Street in Portsmouth, Ohio. On Friday, April the 16th, Saturday, April the 17th, uh, there'll be two services. On the 16th, 7 p.m. service, the guest speaker will be none other than your pastor. The two services on Saturday, one starts at 12 p.m. My good friend, my brother, my family, Pastor Elder Bo Burns will be the speaker at 12 p.m. and is geared towards youth. And then that evening at 7 p.m. on the 17th will be our presiding prelate, Bishop Edward Chow Sr. Uh, the theme for Pentecost this year is from Esther 4 and 16, if I perish, I perish. Hallelujah. And we want to go down and see what God is doing. Hallelujah. Celebrate with our extended family there. Again, uh, those of you that can and will, um, please uh, go down one of those days. Um, even if you can't stay, you know, do a drive, sit by. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So uh, we're excited about what God is doing as far as the organization goes. We'll be releasing some information here shortly about our convocation this year, which will be held in um, Pittsburgh. We're excited about what God is doing there. The organization is growing. Uh, churches are coming in. And we together, I believe, will be able to fulfill what has been spoken over uh, our work. And I'm excited about it. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. So let's celebrate the Lord one more time. You know, over the last uh, few months now, I've been talking about identification. We've been dealing with identification. There is essentially a necessity of understanding of our identification to whom we are identified and to what we identify as. If you look around this building, this building is evidence of a lot of things. If you look at the chair that you're sitting in, that chair is evidence that there was a manufacturer. There was a creator of that chair. Amen? And as comfortable as some of you look, I would say that you're probably thankful for the creator of that chair. Amen? Because churches didn't always have chairs. There were times when people came to church and they stood, and there are still times now where there are no chairs in churches across the world and they come and stand. But the chair is evidence that the chair had a creator. No one in here believes that that chair just appeared, do you? I just want to make sure we're on the same page. This building is evidence that there was a builder. There was a creative design. There was 
architecture. And these things identify the existence of something greater than what the evidence is. You and I are evidence of a creator. Now, it's easy to accept that this building had a builder. It's easy to accept that the street outside that's paved in blacktop had a paver. It's easy to accept that the clothes that you're wearing had a seamstress or steamster, whatever the male, female, I can't tell nowadays how you're supposed to say something. But it had somebody responsible for putting the stitches together. And, and we readily accept that. But when it comes to accepting that there is a creator who created us, it somehow becomes difficult to comprehend that there is a God somewhere. We'll accept everything else, but we struggle with the existence of God. A lot of things occurred this past weekend in the sense of Christian history connected to the plan of redemption that deals directly with our identification. We understand that in the Bible, the, the Bible tells us in Genesis that when God decided that he was going to create man, he created man in such a fashion that man would be an identification or an identifier of him. He did this because when he created man, the counsel that he held, the decision was made that that creation would carry his image. So then man was created in the image of God, both male and female. They were created in the image of God. We're created in the image of God so that we can be the evidence of God in the earth. It's important because when you're stripped of your identity, it limits your ability to function in the truth of your being. Now this weekend signifies something that took place to restore what was stolen in the garden. You see, some people think that what was stolen in the garden was just being able to walk in the cool of the day with God. When in fact, what was stolen was your very identity. The enemy stole your identity and you cease to be identified as what you were created to be and you begun being identified as something God never intended for you to be. So then there became a necessity for what transpired this weekend to restore your identity. And God released some evidence because some of us will believe nothing unless there is some evidence. 
If you would, turn in the Word of God to the book of John, starting at the 20th chapter. I'll read for your hearing the 1st through the 10th. John 20, 1 through 10. I'll be reading from the King James Version. And the word of the Lord reads as such. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulcher, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter, and to the other disciples whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth, and that other disciple, and came to the sepulcher. So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter, and came first to the sepulcher. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet when he went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter, following him, and went into the sepulcher, and seeth the linen clothes lie, and the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple, which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. For as yet they knew not the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again unto their own home. You may be seated. Thank you for standing in honor of the word of God. So when we take a look at the Gospel of John, it's first important for us to understand that the center of his teaching is morality. And because the center of the teaching of the Gospel of John focuses on a sense of morality, it eliminates the possibility that the historical account which is discussed in the text is fabricated in any way. You see, John's writing of the resurrection is a historical account which focuses on human details, which leads one to believe this phenomenal event took place. Look at your neighbor and tell your neighbor there was evidence. You see, the power of the resurrection is far more than what is commonly talked about. It is, it is the fulfillment of God's covenant with mankind, and it is the empowering of God's people to overcome in this life. Look at your neighbor and tell your neighbor there is evidence. You see, many of us have been running. Some of us have been running our whole life. We've been running from things, and if truth be told, we've been running from people. We've been running from our destiny in God. From the, jet, the death of Jesus until about 30 days afterward, the disciples were doing exactly what we've been doing. They got the Forrest Gump spirit. And they just ran and ran and ran and ran and ran until one day they stopped. You see, from the day of discovery, that the tomb had a stone that was rolled away and that Jesus was arisen as he declared, 
there comes an infusion of motivation, power, and excitement of what was to be done. From running away, they switched to being propelled with dynamic power and having great courage. They find themselves no longer in a state of despondency, but rather having a mindset of the implementation of God's dynamic power released in them. They were running because they did not know who they were. When they came to the understanding of who they were, at the knowledge of the resurrection of Christ, it reminded them of their true identity. Now I'm going to break this down just, just for a moment. We understand that it was who that arrived early at the tomb. Who was it? Mary Magdalene. I'm glad three of y'all were listening. Mary Magdalene, she arrives early at the tomb. The Bible talks or de details that she arrived when it was dark. Uh, the book of Matthew actually says it was the end of the Sabbath, meaning that it was sometime between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., and there are three specific things that we need to recognize in this detail. First and foremost, Jesus arises before dawn. So before the rising of the sun, S-U-N, on Sunday morning, the sun, S-O-N, was already arisen. You see, the early Christians, because of what took place on this day, they changed their weekly schedule to reflect now Sunday as the day of Sabbath instead of Saturday. The second thing you need to recognize is that Jesus arose on the first day of the week, which was confirmation that he was in the grave three days as he said. Look at your neighbor and tell your neighbor there is evidence. You see, his arising from the dead was a triumph. It's a conquest over death. But it's not just life and death in the sense of living and not living, but it is life in success or death connected to failure because you lack understanding of your potential. You see, death will reign no more because life, got up. That's not just the physical living, the breathing, the, 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 the process of the functions of your body, but because life had not arisen, everything in life was dead because Jesus is life. That means that everything that you would have put your hands to do outside of Christ would result in death because death reigned over everything. But because Jesus got up, now when you put your hand to do something, because you are now identified with life, when you put your hand to something, what you put it to becomes alive. You see, for a long time, absent the knowledge of Christ, you'd put your hands to do something and it would come up short. It wouldn't have the necessary resource. It would, it would not, you know, develop the way you thought. But the moment you were infused with the knowledge of who you are in Jesus, 
The moment you came to the understanding that the power of life is not just in the power of the tongue. They say that the, the power of life and death is in the tongue. When you realize your identity in Christ, it gave you the ability to exercise life over everything under life. Jesus said that I am life. And when he died and arose, the Bible declares that everything was made subject to life. When you recognize your identity in him, what does that tell you? That everything is now subject to you. Why? Because life is in you. The Bible declares I have died. It is Christ that liveth in me. I am recognized by God as the reflection of his son. In essence, I am recognized by God as life walking. Why do you think the enemy wants you to believe things that are connected to your false identity, your fake ID? I know none of y'all know nothing about that. There was a time when, when some of us young folk would get a fake ID so that you could get into places, so that you could do some stuff that you were not legally allowed to do. But the ID would tell the keeper at the door that you had permission because you were now identified under the authority of the age requirement to be in that place or to do that thing. The problem is, is that the enemy wants you to possess fake identity because fake identity disconnects you from what is real and alive that's trying to function in you. This is why we struggle. We struggle because we believe something about ourselves that simply is false. We believe something about ourselves that is simply not true. We believe something about ourselves. What, what do we often say when, when a great task is before us? I don't know if I can do it. But the, the Bible declares that all things are possible to him that believes. We start looking at resources, we start looking at connections, we start looking at the ability that we think we possess in our natural existence as to whether or not we can accomplish what it is that we have been called to accomplish when, in fact, everything that God has destined you to do, you have already been resourced to do it. Matter of fact, when he sent the disciples out, what did he tell them? He says, look, just go. We'd be talking about, well, I need to know where I'm staying. I need to know what my, what my pay is going to be. I, what am I going to eat? How many times am I going to eat? Who going with me? If I, don't, if I get tired of them, can I switch up with another disciple and, and hang with them? for? I, I need some details. No, Jesus sent them out. He said, take nothing for yourself. Because your journey is going to be your provision because I am alive in you. So that everywhere you go, what you need will be waiting for you right there. 
We're waiting for provision to move and provision is waiting for us to get there. You'll get that at midnight. Life has come. Death now no longer reigns in your life. That means that the things you put your hand to do no longer are subject to death, but they're now infused with life. This is why you have to be very careful what you put your hands to do. You got to be careful what you put your hands to do. See, some of us are taking the power that God has given us and we're putting it to things that God didn't intend for you to put it to. But the problem is, is that the power is the power. This is why you got to be careful what you say. We speak things and because there's power behind what we say, you look at your neighbor and tell your neighbor, you can't just say anything. Some of us are dealing with things in our own life that we, 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 keep telling, we keep saying the devil did this to us when, in fact, you actually prophetically spoke your own demise. Because there's power in your words because life is now infused. So what you release, what you spew out, it will infect. Why do they have you wearing a mask? So that what comes out of your mouth doesn't infect. You see, they're trying to keep what's coming out of you from getting into something else and infecting that person with the possibility of some virus that may exist in your life. But God says when you speak, it's purpose to infect. I was sent to infect the earth with the power and the glory of God. Hallelujah. You're dealing with your own prophetic demise. Look at your neighbor and tell your neighbor there's evidence. So death doesn't reign anymore, which means that the rule that was in place has been broken. Hallelujah. We are no longer subject to the power that death once had over us. Once. Hallelujah. Jesus makes us free and he infuses us not with just power, but with victory. Do you, do you understand that, the, so the Bible declares that we are what? Conquerors? We're more than conquerors. Well, why are we more than conquerors? Because we're connected to what cannot be conquered. That means what you're going through right now in your body cannot conquer you. Because you're already connected to the victory of life and health and well-being. I'm connected to it. Life flows through me. He that is life flows through me. That means that what's coming through me into the world, I'm affected by. That means 
that whatever I'm putting out, I'm affected by. The world will tell you karma. What do they tell you? They tell you karma, that stuff comes back. There, there's a, and I forget the culture that coins this uh, saying, but there, there's a, it's, it's an Asian culture that says if you put good into the world, good will come back to you from the world. If you do good to people in the world, then people in the world will do good back to you. I was watching a television show. I know that's a shock. And this character in the show risks his life to save the life of a young girl in the, in the show. He risks his life, saves the life of the girl. They don't see each other anymore. Now this character becomes wealthy, owns his own business, that now that business is under attack. And because of some things that had taken place, what was necessary for the success of his business was now broken. So he goes on a retreat of sorts to figure out what to do. And guess who he runs into? The girl that he had saved so many years ago. And when he ran into her, he didn't think anything about what she was connected to. Just it was good to see her. And then when he asked, well, why are you here? She tells him, I'm here to save you like you saved me. Because she held a position that could release the, necess the necessary supply for his business to continue to be successful. And then they came, then comes the, the, the ideology, if you put good into the world, good will come back to you. And that's all nice and it's pretty. But here's the truth. Because life exists in you, no matter what you put out, it's going to come back to you. Every seed that you sow will grow. Look at your neighbor and tell them there's some evidence. What you speak over your life, you will see in your life. What you declare will come to pass. Why? Because you are infused with life. There are people that are dealing with uh, psychologically traumatic incidents, and what they try to do often is bury those things, and they bury them through a variety of means, whether chemically, um, or otherwise, but they try to bury things. And when I've spoken to people in this condition who have these outbursts, 
They don't understand why they have the outbursts, especially when there are moments or times or seasons of peace when they're able to deal with whatever the trauma is that they're trying to bury. But then somehow, someway, something happens, something is triggered, some smell, some sight, some name, something happens that triggers that thing that you tried to bury in yourself. And the problem is, is you cannot bury something that you want to die in something that is alive. The deeper you bury it in you, the more life you will give it. Because life is in you. This is why relationships struggle, because we bury in ourselves the trauma from the previous relationship, thinking that this new relationship built upon its own history will somehow help to conceal what was once done, but something always happens that brings up what was there. Why? Because you can't bury death in life. It's like Superman is just laying there getting stronger and stronger and stronger until it's ready to burst forth out of the soil of your heart. This is why you have to let it go. What does the Bible say? The Bible doesn't tell you to um, bury it. The Bible says to change your thought about it. See, we don't want to think about it. So we try to put it out of our mind by burying it in a place that we can't see it. But the Bible declares that you ought to think differently about it. Because when you think differently about it, you're bringing a different process to life. And when you're bringing a different process to life, you're changing the effect of that information in your life. So now it does not cause you to respond the way you always responded because there's another thought motivating behind it. Death no longer reigns. Its power has been broken. We are victorious because he is victorious. The Bible declares in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 55 and 56, O death, where is thy sting? O grief. Where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. Then Hebrews 2, 14 through 15 releases this. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he, talking about Jesus, likewise took part of the same that through death, he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. You cannot enslave me if I am not afraid of you. Most of us are dealing with addictions in our life because we're simply afraid of life without that thing. I'm going to say that again. 
because some of y'all should have fell out your seat. Most of us are dealing with addictions in our life because we are afraid of life without that thing. You see, some of us are afraid of the morning. That's why Folgers is in our cup. Because I don't want to deal with the morning without Folgers being in my cup. I need Folgers to help get me through the morning. I need something because I'm afraid of dealing with something else without that something. But when I'm not afraid any longer. When I'm not scared any longer. When I realize that I already possess everything I need because he got up. He didn't get up with some power. The Bible declares he got up with all power. And if he lives in me, then all power is in me. He didn't just get up with the infinity stone. He got up with all five other stones. You see, if, if, if you follow the Marvel storyline, there's these stones they're all fighting over because these stones, when they were together, was the source of life itself. And it in empowered them to be able to do some stuff. If they had just one stone, they could just do some stuff. But when they had all the stones, anything became possible at the snap of a finger. Here's the thing, though. Not anybody could handle all the stones. Look at your neighbor and say, I got some stones. That would hit some of you a little bit differently. You see, not anybody could take all those stones, put them together, and handle the power that was in them. Do you not know that absent Christ, we lack the ability to handle all power? We were created to reflect all power. But because our identity was stolen in the garden, we lacked the ability to handle all power. So Jesus came and died and arose to restore all power to his rightful place, which is in you, to carry out the plan of God in your life. All power. All power. All power. Power lacking authority is nothing. So God said, look, I'm not just going to give you power. I'm going to give you the authority. Because he said when he died and arose, all powers were subject under him. That means everything in life, because life now lives in you, is subject to the authority that's freely flowing in you waiting for you to exercise over everything in life.
I don't don't have time. So so Jesus, he's in he's in the tomb. Now watch this. See, it's it's important that you do understand that when Jesus died on the cross, a split second later he could have come off the cross, right? Yeah, I mean y'all 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 do realize that, right? He didn't need three days to regenerate. I mean, see, some, sometimes we, we begin to think that, like, like, he couldn't have arisen in two days. Like, he was somehow, it was somehow impossible for him to get up after one day. Now, we, we understand he had some work to do. He had to go preach to some folk. He, he, he went on a, an amazing preaching mission. Uh, he, he, he held the revival of revivals in a very hot place. He had, he had some work to do. My wife and I were talking about this this morning. Uh, he had to go get some keys. You see, you see, some keys got misplaced, and he had to go get them. Now, because of the way we think, you know, we like to envision these great battles where people are sweating in blood and everyone's getting in good blows. Uh, no, no, no. Jesus, give me the keys. Okay. It was not a long encounter. It was a brief encounter. There was not a debate. There was not, it's not like you talking to your kids. There was no why. The devil didn't say, why do I have to give these keys back? But I like these keys. No. He went down. So we know he had stuff to do. But you do know that he is the God of now, right? He is the I am that in him all time exists. That's why he's in all of time at the same time. So that instantaneously what's necessary transpires. You know who you are. That means all time. What do we say all the time? I don't have enough time. Don't you know that time exists in you? The master of time exists in you. So then there had to be a reason why he's in the tomb. It, there had to be some necessity, something that had to be accomplished while he's in the tomb for these Three days so that he could die one day and rise a few days later. If you destroy this temple in three days, I will. Since it wasn't connected to an inability, then it must be connected to a purpose. Look at your neighbor. Tell, you there, tell your neighbor there's evidence of your purpose. He's in the tomb during the observance of Passover and the Sabbath. This is the time period in which Jesus is now removed so he cannot observe the Passover and the Sabbath. Now anyone knows anything about the Jewish faith understands that the Sabbath is 
very, very important. And because he's not there, he's unable to observe the laws that govern this period of time. How many of you understand that there are laws that govern this period of time? So because he's not there, he's not bound by the laws governing that time. In fact, he was dead to those laws and the observance of those laws. There's a reason why he was in the tomb three days. Because he needed to get out from under the law. <laughs> Look at your neighbor. There's, there's some evidence coming. Now, here's where it's at. Here's, here's where it's at. What he was doing in this three-day period is symbolic of the identification, this is why identity is so important, because it's, in, it's symbolic of the identification that we gain in Christ. Now watch this. You see, in, in the death of Christ, because he's dead to the law, <laughs> you're dead to the law. You know how you used to look at people and tell them, you're dead to me, even though they still existed, but for you, you don't exist no more. You're dead to me. There's some laws. There's some laws that govern your physical body, <laughs> but you're dead to those laws. You're dead to those laws. Why? Because life exists in you. We are connected through identification to Christ. So what Christ is dead to, we are dead to. You see, there was this religious belief and structure of the law that would bind the Jewish people together. So for anyone to come and challenge it would be a great offense. So Jesus doesn't challenge the law. He fulfills the law. So we've been made dead to the law in the death of Christ and alive through his resurrection. We have, as a matter of fact, you ought to say this with me. I have transcended the law. That means that the things that govern people outside the body, they don't govern me. The things that govern the behavior, the rule of things outside the body of Christ do not govern me. They don't govern me. Why? Because I am identified in the death and life of Christ. It is the law that binds me.
the law is dead to me. Now watch this. So Mary, she sees that the, the stone is rolled back. And I, I'm going to get right. I, I got so much more to say, but I'll, I'll, I'll roll it up here in a second. Mary sees that the stone is rolled back from the tomb. That which was blocking the tomb to prevent people from going in. You, you, you do understand that they put stones in front of the tomb not because they were afraid of what was in it coming out of it. They were afraid of people going in it and taking stuff out of it. Because in that, in, in that time period, you got buried with, them, with some stuff. You see, your kids today are waiting for you to die so they can argue over your, you know, their inheritance. In that day, a lot of the inheritance went with you because some people thought that they could use it in the afterlife. <laughs> they, they, they thought that denarii was going to get them some help on the other side. So they would take stuff and they would put it in the tombs with them when they died. They're very popular in the Egyptian culture in that time period. So in, in, in this day, they, or in that time period, they would devise tombs in a way where they can be secured because a lot of tombs were in mountainsides and cliffs and things of that nature, and they would roll this huge uh, stone in front of the entrance. And these stones were almost impossible to remove once they were in place. Now, let me, let me, just, let me just describe um, a, a little bit of how this stone is secured because some of us, the enemy is trying to cause you to believe that your life is a tomb, a tomb from which you cannot escape because he's rolled a stone in front of it. So then you're only limited in what you can do to that which is in the tomb and not that which is outside the tomb. So these, these stones are designed in a way where they're, uh, they're, they're slanting and, and there's a groove that's cut into them. They're, they're made of rock. They're circular and they weighed several tons. These precautions were essential in that time because tombs were ransacked because of the poverty that was in the land. Besides that, the tomb was also sealed. So when it's necessary to seal a tomb, the huge stone is cemented to the entrance walls or some type of roping or binding material is used around the entrance that is blocked by the stone to fashion the stone in place. And then that binding itself is cemented or hardened with uh, clay or wax-like substances. And in the case of some burials, usually political figures, the seal of the emperor would also be attached to the walls of the entrance, and this was done to strike fear uh, of Roman retaliation against anyone who would dare intrude the tomb. Now, in the case of Jesus' tomb, 
further precautions were being taken because they placed a guard, a patrol unit, to prevent foul play. It wasn't one or two folk. It was a garrison of soldiers that were placed there. Now I want you to understand something. Everything that I have described is strong evidence that something happened. You see, the stone wasn't just rolled back for the benefit of Jesus. It was rolled back as a witness to the resurrection. When Jesus came out of the tomb, he came out in his resurrected body. You see, his resurrected body is a spiritual body. It's of the spiritual dimension, which means it has no physical bounds. So he didn't need the stone to be rolled back so he could get out of the tomb because material substance has no bearing on his spiritual substance. But the tomb or the exit from the tomb needed something to testify of the truth of what happened at the tomb. Some of you are going through some stuff as evidence that something is happening in you. You see, right now I'm going to pick on Angela. She's going through a physical attack on her body. She's seeing red and not figuratively because blood behind the eye is obscuring the vision. And when the vision is obscured, it's like a cloudy haze which signifies a barrier to your sight or a tomb of the sight in that eye. Now watch this. And I say this without fear. The tombs in our life are there as evidence of our resurrection. What's going on right now is simply evidence of your resurrection. It's evidence. So you, you, you see in that time. They knew that Jesus had been buried. In the tomb. It, it, it was common knowledge. They just crucified him. And they buried him in this tomb. It's common knowledge that you're dealing. With an issue. In your eye. 
but there's no tomb made that can hold the resurrection power of God. That means that there's no tomb that exists in your physical body that can restrict the spiritual power that is in existence in you. It's just evidence that power has been loosed. Mary, not had a little lamb, but Mary ran to go find Peter. Watch this, watch this, watch this. Y'all know Peter, right? Peter had some issues that weekend. Peter had some troubles at the start of... About the middle to the, yeah, Peter had, he didn't have a good Garden of Gethsemane experience. And it didn't get better from there, it only got worse. We, we know Peter, he, Peter lied. <laughs> Y'all want to talk about Kirk Franklin cussing, Peter cussed. Because he, he wanted people accusing him of being a Jesus lover. To, uh, da, 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 da. He had a bad week. Now watch this though. Mary runs to Peter, who was not functioning in his proper identification that weekend. <laughs> Look at your neighbor say, some evidence is getting ready to fall. Now, why is this important? Well, it's important because it shows that even though Peter had some issues, he was still the accepted leader. Now, watch this. He was a man of courageous stature and moral strength. Prior to this week, you know, he was the one that was quick to say, I got your back. If they taking you, they taking me. They're going to have to put two slabs in that tomb. Because I'm going to be laying right there next to you. Until the soldiers showed up. Oh, they serious. Some of y'all can testify. Y'all got... Friends like that. Y'all got family like that. We, we ride or die till die show up. Then we riding out. I'll pray for you. Surely the cowardice of Peter in this moment had been widely broadcast and well rumored. Now watch this. Here is the phenomenal blessing of our identification in Jesus because of what he did on the cross. My righteousness is no longer secured by what I do, but by what he did 
Peter repents, he picks himself up, and he resumes his task. Now, there are some in the body of Christ who are struggling with their sin, and they just need to repent, which simply means stop doing it. Forgiveness has already come. See, when Jesus died on the cross, we were positioned, we, we, we switched positions. Now we know that Jesus is the epitome of the obedience of God, which is actually the greatest expression of worship, is the obedience to God and the word of God. So Jesus is the epitome of obedience. He's the epitome of worship. He's the epitome of righteousness. We Prior to his death, were the direct opposite. So when Jesus dies, as, as I've taught you, we switched places. That means you are the epitome of the righteousness of God. You have been positioned not because of your behavior, but because of your faith in the perfect righteousness. Now, it's important to understand that we identify that the Bible talks about righteousness and then the perfect righteousness. You see, for a long time, we were trying to be righteous by less than perfect means. Let me get to where I'm going. You see, this is what the enemy, and I'm, I'm, I'll stop right after this, I promise. This is what the devil, the enemy of your faith, wants you to think. Many of you know what your calling in God is, and many of the others are struggling to figure out what your calling is. But all of us are struggling to attain our calling because of what we believe disqualifies us. When I was dead, I was disqualified. Because death cannot function where life is. But I am no longer dead. I am alive through Christ. So then when the devil wants me to look at my life and see what I call failure as something that now disqualifies me or removes me from the position that I am in God through Christ, the word of God teaches me in contradiction to the fabrication of the enemy, that my failure has not disqualified me, but in fact, my failure has prepared me for the position I hold in God. Now, I know some of you brainiacs are trying to process what I'm saying. So let me, let, let, let me, let me just break it down like this. Truth being told, you have actually never experienced failure. 
Many of you would be like, well, I can give you a laundry list of where I failed. But truth, and not, now, I'm not talking about your truth. I'm not talking about your truth. I'm not talking about your truth. I'm talking about the truth. The truth be told, you have never endured failure. Why do I say that? Because if all things work together for the good, to them who are loved by God and called according to his purpose, then you ought to recognize this. God already saw what you call failure and still chose you because what you saw as failure was just preparation for you to handle all the stones. Some of us may be in school a little longer than others, but I've never failed a subject. I've only been advanced from one lesson to the next. You know that you cannot handle Wealth, if you've never experienced poverty. There's evidence. You know the evidence. You've seen the evidence. Wealth, for many, become their identity. But when you understand what true wealth is, then you can say even as Paul declared, I am content in whatever condition I find myself in. I've learned both how to abound and to abase. I've learned how to function when I'm up here. <laughs> And my functioning does not cease when I'm down here. You've got to understand. You've got to understand. You've got to understand. Because when you know who you are, you understand what you are not bound by. You're not bound by the condition in your body. Why? Because the truth said that I am the God that heals thee. And what is the one thing God cannot do? Lie. So he's either the God that heals me or he's not. But he said, I am 
That means at all times. You see, I am is a signifier of time. That means in the complete existence of your life, I am the very power of life that sustains your life. You thought it was the chicken wing, but God said it is me that brings protein into your body to give you necessary strength to be sustained. See, what you should see is the glory of God being manifest. Why did God give man his image? What is the image of God that we talk about? The image of God is the glory. Man is called God's crowning achievement. <laughs> oh, do you know how brilliant the glory of God is? You know why the devil don't like you? Because the devil was created to project God's glory into creation. He was created with the ability that when he stepped into the sun, rays of God's glory would beam into creation. <laughs> Look at your neighbor, tell your neighbor, I'm a ray of God's glory. So every time the devil encounters you, he sees the glory of the Lord. Every time you look at yourself, you have to stop seeing you. We talk about seeing ourselves through the lens of Christ. Then you've got to understand what it is that he sees. What he sees is his glory. What is it that fills the temple? His glory. Where is the temple? This earthen vessel. The the Bible says that this earthen vessel houses. That means the glory, the excellency, the power of God lives here. That's why the devil don't like you. He's constantly trying to subvert the truth of who you are by causing you to see something about yourself that's not true. It may be factual, but it's not true. Oh, I wish I had time this morning. Whew. You've got to learn and... and Am I on closing four? I am a Baptist Pentecostal denominational preacher. You have to learn to use your past 
and present experiences to strategize your next encounter so you can function in the victory that has been secured for you over your enemy that you are destined to receive from the dawn of time. You were destined for success. You were destined to be the head and not the tail. You were destined to be above and not beneath. You were destined to be the lender and not the borrower. You were destined because God said, I looked into your life and I got plans for you. Plans to prosper and not harm you. This is the truth. He got plans for you to prosper so that you can live out his glory. You know that there is no defect in the glory of God? There's no defect in the glory of God. Stop disqualifying yourself from who you are because Jesus got up and he left evidence behind. I want you to take a really good look at your neighbor. Look your neighbor up and down. Study them for a second. Just some of you that like each other, just make that eye contact. Look deep down into the soul. What you're looking at is evidence of God's glory in the earth. Let me just say this and take my seat. If the intention of God was to leave you without him, he would not have taken pains to separate his napkin from his remaining garments. You have to understand that everything that God 
does and everything that God says in his word, he's not like a writer that needs to fill space between thoughts. He, he, he's not just talking for the sense of talking, but everything that he says is purposed for revelation of who we are. You see, you are so valuable to God because you are his glory. You have to believe that about yourself. I am his glory. And you are so valuable to God because you are his glory that he decided before the foundation of existence that he was going to Bring his glory back to himself. So Jesus tells us in the particular way that he leaves his napkin that he's not done and out of here. But hold on for a minute. Don't clear the table because I'm coming back. Jesus, the, the, the beautiful thing about what he did in the tomb is a reminder to you and I today that he did not just cast us aside after restoring us, but he restored us, he endowed us, and he's coming back for us. Now, no man knows the day nor the hour. But just as the bride has to be ready when the bridegroom comes, so shall I. But how am I ready? I have been made ready because of the finished work of Christ on Calvary. Which means you have to get out of your psyche that there's stuff left for you to do. We have this belief that there's still something left for us to do when Jesus said everything that was necessary to be done is done. I'm just riding on the coat waves of victory. I'm living a triumphant life because he is triumphant. That means triumph now lives in me. That means I'm always coming out on top. And if I'm coming out on top, why am I so sad? If I'm coming out on top, if I'm going to have what I need, if the righteous have never been forsaken nor his seed begging bread, why am I so despondent? 
because I don't understand my identity. If God can command water to flow from a rock to quench the thirst of a nation, is there anything too hard for my God? If Jesus can spit in dirt and form a clay and put it in your eye and you could not see but after the bone had been applied your sight be restored is there anything too hard for my God is there anything too hard? If death can hold him, is there anything too hard? You ought to look at your life and tell your life, I'm evidence you can't handle me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 